God is looking to bring restoration to your life, your community, and our world. Will you join in God's work? My name is Josh. This is our aim. This is We the Peace. We the Peace is a podcast sponsored by PAX, dedicated to mobilizing Christian leaders to bring Jesus-centered peacemaking and justice into our organizations. We explore how peacemaking, activism, and the justice of Jesus are central to discipleship. We the church are we the peace in a hurting and violent world. In season two, we explore how Christian leaders can develop a Jesus-centered outlook on politics. What does Jesus have to do with politics? How does the kingship of Jesus impact our understanding of modern politics? In what way is the church a political institution? We will define politics, walk through the four Christian views on politics, and then look to the ministry of Jesus for how Christians are to relate to and mobilize politically. Let's jump into this week's episode. Welcome to We the Peace. I am your host, Josh Buck. In our inaugural season, we are looking at how leaders can develop a Jesus-centered politics in their churches, in their teaching, in the life of their faith communities. In episode one, we define politics as human-made systems of power, government, whether centralized or decentralized, that promote human flourishing. Episode two, we established that Jesus embodied various political vocations, making his body, life, teaching, death, and resurrection political. In this episode, we will look at the political agenda of Jesus. I'm super excited. We will be looking at the first century context of Jesus and the four gospels as they were expressed by the writers. We will be looking at the politics of Jesus as they relate to churches Christian organizations, and your organizational setting. No story this week. Let's just get right in. So what are the politics of Jesus? This is hotly contested. People tell you not to talk about religion and politics, and we're doing quite a bit of that this season. In the ministry of Jesus, his political titles of King, the I Am, Son of Man, and Messiah coalesced and created a new political movement that was born out of the Old Testament story. The gospel writers call this new religious and political movement, the kingdom of God. Mark 1, 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe in the good news. The new religio-political movement of the kingdom that Jesus introduced flowed out of his vocations of king, son of man, I am, and Messiah. You're going to hear me say religio-political and theopolitical, which is meant to communicate the same thing. Our organization around the gospel of Jesus relates to the divine God, theology, religion, 
and just as equally the public good of humanity. Politics, these don't separate when it comes to the biblical message of the kingdom. And I'm speaking in a new covenant sense. This is what is meant by theopolitical or religio-political. Now let's move to the cultural setting. In the first century, you had, in general, four Jewish political factions. These political factions emphasized various Old Testament scriptures, held divergent theological convictions related to the Messiah, and sought to overcome the Roman occupation differently. You have the Pharisees, which are given quite a bit of airtime in the Gospels. They adopted a bunch of rituals and rules beyond the text of Scripture, painted by the Gospel writers as a hypocritical group that held a lot of power over the ordinary person who was trying to follow God. Second, there were the Sadducees. They did not believe in a bodily resurrection and worked pragmatically in and with the Roman system to acquire power and survive. The Pharisees and the Sadducees did not get along, but the gospel shows us how both of these political factions unified with their new common enemy, Jesus. You have the Essenes. These were the wilderness people who believed in removing themselves largely from Palestinian and Roman society. These outliers believed in maintaining purity from the broader Jewish and Roman culture. Societally speaking, they were the first century monks or Amish in their withdrawal from culture. Finally, there were the Zealots. These freedom fighters were known by the Romans as a terrorist cell who were looking to be a Robin Hood for the Jewish nation with ultimate hopes of overthrowing Rome by force. These four groups represented first century Jewish politics. It was nationalistic. It was self-righteous on the conservative end and pragmatic in its use of power on the liberal progressive end. Then Jesus came along declaring the kingdom of God is at hand and completely confounded the political systems of his day. Even though each Jewish faction was trying to make political sense of Jesus' messiahship, they could not do so and ultimately saw his overall messiahship as a threat. His teaching, posture towards those in power, desire to love those outside of Israel threatened the political systems of the first century. One word. Subversion. A direct example of this can be found in Luke 4, 16 through 30, when Jesus opens up his ministry. He reads Isaiah 61 in a type of church gathering and references two Old Testament stories of God extending radical love towards those outside of Israel. He confounded the religio-political expectations and subverted those in power, and they tried to kill him. Jesus subverting confounding and upsetting the political categories of his day. And we the peace, let me pause here for a few questions. Thinking in terms of 21st century America, what if the political witness of the church confounded the politics of 
America? What if the church was a threat to the status quo, money and power hungry politicians who have sold out to the American empire? What if very simply the political posture of the church did not fit neatly into the expectations of the right and of the left and of the center? What if everyone in the States just knew that around election season, Christians did not get caught up in the national hunger games presidential race? When we arrive at these realities, we will be closer to emulating Jesus Messiah. The kingdom of God would be closer at hand. The gospel of King Jesus will maintain more purity. Let's begin to imagine, we the peace, how Jesus in your local setting can confound and subvert the political expectations of our day. So, This was the political setting of Jesus. Now, I want to talk about the politics of Jesus on a meta level. Meta level means bird's eye view. I will do this by looking at the ways Jesus brought about a renewed political vision for humanity. We need that desperately in the 21st century. In the four Gospels, King Jesus is bringing the fulfillment of God's promise in Genesis 12 that he gave to Abraham. A covenant was created with Abraham that God would bless the lineage of Abraham in order that God's people be a blessing to all the nations of the world. The signs along the way that God would bring radical love to the nations, all people, are seen throughout the Old Testament. This isn't just a personal religious love meant for Israel and its people, but a public love of those who are not born to the commonwealth of Israel. This is the same social and spiritual salvation offered in the Exodus narrative. Jesus fulfills the Abrahamic promise and undoes the curse of God's own people as they were experiencing it as a result of the Mosaic Covenant, the cursings of Deuteronomy 28, 29. While Israel was suffering under their failings, God promised to love the nations and was slowly, this was coming to pass. Running through some scripture, Isaiah 56, 3 through 7, God promised to love and include the foreigners and eunuchs in God's religio-political salvation. Isaiah 19, 19 through 25, God called Egypt my people in Assyria, the work of God's hand, verses 24, 25. Ezekiel 47, 22 and 23, talking about immigrants having an inheritance from the Lord. We see God extending love and grace to the enemy military leader Nahum through the prophet Elisha in 2 Kings 5. And of course, Ruth, an entire book dedicated to showing how God personally saves and politically provides for a, quote, pagan widow. Isaiah 2, 2 through 4. In these verses, we catch a vision for the politics of Jesus many years before the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus prohibits his followers from using violence. Isaiah 2, 2 through 4. He will judge between the nations and will arbitrate for many peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation Neither shall they learn war any 
more. This is the gospel of personal public salvation, a reorientation for Israel because they lost sight in the curse of the Mosaic law, the public message of radical love, nonviolent love, and inclusion of the nations into the salvation of God. All of these verses show how the Jewish Jesus brought the Abrahamic Genesis 12 and Mosaic covenant, Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19, of religio-political salvation to the nations. So in the ministry of Jesus, a broken and weary Israel encounter this man, the I am, the son of man, the Messiah who renews and redefines their understanding of politics, ethics, nationhood, the role of violence, power, the very boundary markers of salvation. We, the peace, Are we willing in the majority culture church as white evangelicals to allow Jesus to renew and redefine our political imagination? Listen, this is my prayer for you and for us. The witness of the church is at stake. So what are these redefinitions? Let's dive in. If you're on YouTube, you're going to see a chart. If you're listening to this, I'll help you visualize, hopefully, as I explain. So the chart is called The Politics of Jesus, God's New World Order. So that's up top. This chart contrasts worldly politics with the politics of Jesus. The vertical category on the left has the following. Nation, leadership, location, justice, expressions, and ethics. These are all categories or markers of any nation. Under worldly politics, we look at the United States of America. You could plug in any political system into this, but we'll stick with the U.S. of A. And by worldly, I'm not using like the first John sense where it's synonymous with evil or sinfulness, though this can apply in certain categories. In worldly politics, we have the United States under the category nation. For politics of Jesus, we have no nation. For the political community of the church is transnational. The followers of Jesus are all over the world. Worldly politics under, quote, leader, we have a president, governors and other things. Politics of Jesus, we have a king in Jesus. Worldly politics under location, we have bounded territory. The politics of Jesus has no boundaries, and is cosmic in nature. Worldly politics under justice, we have the U.S. with a punitive view of justice. In contrast, Jesus promotes through his politics a restorative justice. Worldly politics under expressions, we have the Pledge of Allegiance and standing for the national anthem and getting a social security number where in the kingdom of God we have the profession of faith in King Jesus baptism communion among other expressions lastly world politics under ethics the U.S. constructs their ethics through a hotly contested social contract where followers of Jesus derive our ethics from the new covenant teachings rooted in the story of God Make no mistake, 
the politics in our world is in confrontation with the politics from Jesus. So now walking through the chart in more detail, the first category, nation and worldly politics would say to be political means you need to build a modern nation state. And generally that's accepted here. We are in the United States of America. Our politics has to do with a major nation. And Jesus came in unison with the Old Testament to create a transnational political movement where Israel was busy trying to nation build and be like the other pagan nations around them in the Old Testament. Jesus comes to remind them of the decentralized vision that can be traced all the way back to the table of nations in Genesis 10. Maybe you remember in Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel and God in response to humanity gathering into one place, sending people from the tower, scattering them around the world. Well, a chapter before that, we see God's desire for humans to be diverse, create family, speak different languages, and spreading all around the world. God blessing diversity. Read what God does in Genesis 10, where in fulfillment of the command to go, be fruitful, and multiply to the descendants of Noah, spread across the world. It's interesting that we see the same impulse in Jesus. It's not that countries are evil or nations are evil, but in the ministry of Jesus, he is going beyond the borders of Israel, both figuratively and literally, to show radical religio-political cross-cultural engagement that the Jews did not like because they were busy creating boundaries and nation building, and they were suffering under the Mosaic law. And then think of Jesus in Matthew 28, after the resurrection, the great commission is to go into the nations to show radical love. Go start a transnational movement in the name of Jesus. Then we see Luke's narration of the early church in Acts showing an intentional shift away from Jerusalem, the state of Israel, to the Gentile city of Antioch, where the gospel spreads. The politics of Jesus are transnational and decentralized. Second line in the chart, in our political systems, we have a president, governors, and other officials. That is our leaders. In the kingdom of God, we have a king named Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, 1 Timothy 6.15. That one should be self-evident. We talked about it a lot in the last episode. And we must keep in mind that all politicians in the United States are subject to King Jesus and not the other way around. Third line in the chart is location. In the United States, we have a bounded territory, though our military and economic territory is worldwide, as is the habit of empires. Worldly political systems will almost always express themselves through a bounded territory. This is in. This is out. You are out. You are in. Lines drawn, redrawn, contested, and fought over. The politics of Jesus assert that Jesus is king over all. The reach of his kingship is cosmic. Every known place from the bottom of the ocean to outer space all areas inhabited, discovered, and uninhabited in dimensions unseen. Listen, Jesus is king. All the lines, 
borders and unjustly drawn territories cannot contain the cosmic authority of King Jesus. Therefore, any political territory is subject to the scrutiny and politics of King Jesus as rights afforded by every human on the basis of the Imago Dei, the fact that we have been made in God's image. Fourth, the justice of America is punitive in nature. Punitive is a way of trying to set an injustice to right through punishment. And actually, the U.S. is obsessed in our twisted and hypocritical sense of justice with punishing people, groups, and nations. All you have to do is look at our prison system. We are in a mess because the default mode of justice for an empire is always violence, punishment, shame. We are built on this violence, and for that, we cause much suffering. But wait, the politics of Jesus offer a different justice and a more beautiful picture of justice, a justice that restores the political torture tool of the cross was used by God in a mysterious way to restore the world's relationship with God and, quote, through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Colossians 1.20. The justice in the kingdom of God is restorative, and this breaks through in the ministry of the early church. We see the reason for discipline in Matthew 18 is to restore relationships. The reason Paul sent back the runaway slave Onesimus to Philemon is to restore the relationship. We see Revelation as a picture of God restoring the world through the power of the risen lamb. And listen, judgment by God is not always devoid of punitive measures, but it is one whose aim is to restore relationships. The politics of Jesus is full of restorative justice. We must wrap our politics and minds and hearts around this as Christian leaders in North America. Five, the expressions of a worldly politics in the U.S. manifest in having a social security number, holding American citizenship, you know, learning and reciting the Pledge of Allegiance, standing during the national anthem, knowing to take your hat off or something, and learning this mythological history of how through violence America overcame our oppressor with blood and bodies shed on the battlefield. Yet, in the politics of Jesus, in the kingdom of God, we have a different set of political expressions and we have our own story. We, followers of Jesus, declare that we have been saved by faith through the nonviolent blood of the crucified lamb killed by government overreach and nationalistic further. We participate in the theopolitical right 
of baptism and take communion and remembrance and declaration that the story of Calvary is far more important a story than the deified American battlefields or a national flag that will pass away in the shadow of the cross. These expressions are, of course, deeply personal, baptism, declaration of faith, but they are also public. And I want to tell you, as you read the martyr stories of the early church, everyone understood the persecution to be a religious and political phenomena. Those that lost their lives in the Colosseum understood their, their very bodies were making a divine political statement that Jesus is king. We subvert the political expressions of our country when we practice the liturgies of God's Lamb. Lastly, the ethics of a country like the U.S. are constructed through a social contract. The social contract changes through legislation and government intervention and lots of other good and bad things. The politics of Jesus are derived through the story of God, the fulfillment of God's plan in Jesus, his life, ministry, the rest of the new covenant teachings. We hold a different ethical standard as we seek to image Jesus in the world. So what are the implications of the politics of Jesus? This is the so what section. How does the information connect to the life of the church, your leadership, and your life? First, the decentralized and transnational church becomes the center of our political movement. We mobilize politically through the biblical functions of the church in the grassroots mobilization of the church. We do not look to the government. We do not look to the state for how to be political. Jesus has taught us to do that already. In the same way, everyone understood Jesus and his disciples as starting a new religio-political movement rooted in the Jewish narrative. We must view our work in the church as manifestly political in nature. Question, does this happen in your local setting. Second, the transnational church will naturally infuse the politics of Jesus into each nation of the world with a politic of salt and light and love and grace and truth. We infuse these politics into our land. How do we exactly do that? Literally, that's the golden gun question and check out the next episode. We'll talk through it. Third, the politics of Jesus drives us to display more solidarity, love, and loyalty to fellow Christians across borders and in other countries than we do to any one nation, party, or government. We are more loyal to global Christians than we are to our country. Every human who follows Jesus is the temple of the Most High God who has declared faith in the same King we follow. They are co-heirs with Christ as we are and fellow children of God. 
If the dividing wall of hostility really came down, as Paul claims in Ephesians 2, it must come down between Christians separated by pagan, broken, and temporal governments. In our country, we're taught to be loyal to our blood relatives, our socioeconomic group, our country, and the type of community that we've grown up in. You know, city people with city people and rural people with rural people and suburban with suburban. Yet in the global church, we must stick together with a love and loyalty that confounds the politics of our countries. Fourth, the teachings of Jesus whether parables, sermons, what he did, or private conversations are inherently political in nature. As you interpret the Bible, as you teach people about Jesus, does this come through? You can't separate the teachings of Jesus, let's say, in the Sermon on the Mount, from how Christians are to engage in their personal lives, in their families, in their work lives, and politically in their home country. Jesus didn't check in to being Messiah and check out of being Messiah at different parts of his ministry. And any theological system that diminishes the ethics of Jesus ultimately is not taking the Bible seriously enough. And we have come up with some funky theological systems to explain away actually having to follow Jesus. Fifth, if the church is a religio-political organization declaring the gospel of King Jesus in and among the nations, our ongoing liturgies of discipleship, evangelism, holy living, mercy work, communion, preaching, confession, praying, sharing of our resources, justice work, baptism, are political in nature. In a different episode, I'm going to be interviewing Dr. William Kavanaugh, who has written about this very issue. Sixth, we must build our sense of fairness, justice, liberty, freedom, and, quote, rights from King Jesus. We can't let our socioeconomic status, gender, education level, immigration status, or inherited political leanings determine our politics. Jesus determines our politics. So, the politics of Jesus are transnational. Our leader is King Jesus. The reach of God's authority is cosmic and not bound by a territory. The politics of Jesus promote restorative justice. Our expressions of baptism, communion, fellowship, faith in Christ subvert the liturgies of our country, and our ethics are informed through the new covenant. In this, we are an alternative political community. In the next episode, I'll be surveying the four views on political theology or the four views on political engagement for Christians. I'm going to use the Reformation as our study case. How does the church infuse the politics of Jesus into each nation of the world? How do we do that? The golden question. Tune in next week. Here are some reflection questions as you're hearing about the politics of Jesus. How should loyalty to Jesus and his teachings manifest in the United States? What does solidarity and unity with the global church 
look like? In what way should the church confound the politics of the United States? In what way should the church subvert the politics of your home country? For further learning, I would pick up Kingdom Ethics, Following Jesus in Contemporary Context by Glenn Stassen. My name is Josh. This is We the Peace.